0: Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards that, like, some greater
1: purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo
2: Jackie
3: Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip.
1: Welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 4.2 of the Reunion Tour, the epic, sprawling nationwide, globe-trotting, podcasting tour. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum, reporting live from the tour
4: bus. (laughs) I'm JT White.
1: Now, JT, you are driving the bus right now. I know that's why it sounds like you're so far away. You know, different audio quality. Um, We are all in the same studio, per usual. Uh, You know, JT, it turns out he never went away. Like, I know that oh, really? we came back last week and we did the whole thing like, oh, we're going to do the podcast and he's on the East Coast and we're on the West Coast and friendship perseveres. He actually never moved. It was like kind <laughs> of a bit. So JT's driving the bus right now. Um, it's
4: really nice of the Bang Bros to let us borrow the Bang Bus. You, t- you took my joke. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Such a, So much cinematic history that's gone down here. You know, it's some of my favorite scenes uh, I remember on
1: this floor, you know. And with this gas prices, what great mileage. <laughs> That's true, too. So guess who we picked up in the bang bus uh, sitting on the side of the road in Michigan? None other than our friend, uh, former uh, friend of the podcast, current podcaster in his own right, which makes him our enemy. True. Uh, no, I'm just joking. It's our old friend, Sean Glinnis of the Wiseman podcast. What's up, dude? Nice to be back in the bang bus, of course. So mad that JT stepped
6: on my joke. but uh, It was a race. I'll...
1: Right when I said bus, I saw Malcolm's <laughs> eyes start kind of churning. And then I was like, JT's going to say it. And he didn't say it at first. Yeah. And then it just, it was a race. Yeah. yeah we all win. We well, all win. <laughs> yeah.
6: I, I was going to say that um, I'm really excited about the uh, the podcast being back. I'm really excited about the new format. And I, I I'm excited to see kind of all the ways that you guys see like sort of how cinema began and, and you know, like how shitty it was. And then like on the opposite side, like how much advanced it, it's gotten. <laughs> um, it's, I think it's going to be really cool. True.
5: It's a, it's a slow start, but you know, it's a, uh, you know, they they warmed up to it and I think around, Uh, 2014, they're really firing on all cylinders. I mean, you look (laughs) at
1: these movies, one of them, not even in color, no dialogue. The other one, a lot of dialogue, four times as long. I mean, it doesn't really get much clearer than that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, as you heard on our We're Back (laughs) (laughs) episode last week, the promo of the year, uh, we are back on tour, and we're doing 100 years of cinema via The extended clip mindset Double features History colliding upon itself Moving forward and backward in time You know what uh, Kevin Costner said about a car You know In uh, a perfect world It's kind of like what the extended clip Bang bus is right now Yeah
5: the, the car, it's a 20th century Bang bus, I think what Well, it's also a time machine, that's yeah. the main part That's what I was queuing up there I mean, I'll put Kid, the clip, you so. could clips With that long dick of yours, you could have sex in the car <laughs> yes. And then you won't have any other issues Compared to the bedroom Hey
7: You ever ridden in a time machine before? Well, sure you have What do you think this is? A car You're looking at this thing Bass-ackwards This is a 20th century time machine. I'm the captain, and you're the navigator. Out there, that's the future. And back there, well, that's the past. If life's moving too slow, you want to project yourself into the future, just step on the gas right here. See? (laughs) And if you want to slow her down, well, hell, you just Step on the brake here and you slow her down. This is the present, Philip. Enjoy it while it lasts.
1: So as uh, you know, that is the format. So we are starting at the start, not really the start, obviously, uh, but in 1920 and we're ending at the end. Not really the end, obviously, but 2020. (laughs) So our double feature today is 1920s Within Our Gates, directed by Oscar Michaud and 2020s City Hall directed by frederick wiseman now frederick wiseman he's amazing but like look man i've been listening to these film podcasts and now it's like there's one for every director <laughs> and there's... wow i wasn't expecting that that's that's come on he's right here who sean no stupid. i know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> We're sick. really on our three stooges mode right yeah, away. I, like, <laughs> the whole point of bringing the podcast back was like, I'm going to do more research. I'm going to read yeah. about the films more. And I have done that. Yeah. But man, I just miss goofing off with my fucking stupid ass friends. Yeah. <laughs> Who are they?
5: We should get down to business, man. This, we could do this all day.
7: <laughs> you know, this could take anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. Back! Get it? Could be a minute, could be a half hour, or an hour. Back! Get it? Hour back? Call you back in an hour. Back! Get it?
1: heard was a little bit of the score uh for within our gates that comes with the new blu-ray by kino lorber our friends of the podcast wink wink yeah now the new score is of course by paul williams aka <laughs>
8: wow
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> really trying out a lot of voices <laughs> yes, this, has, this has been like
5: shock jock levels <laughs> i think i think we do need like the gunshot soundboard window breaking soundboard uh, applause all that shit because it's that's that's that seems to be how we're operating now
1: but i wanted to bring it up right away because silent cinema has always been um you know there's always been a question mark with contemporary home viewing this is a podcast about film history and the film present and it's not like people are rolling out to silent movie theaters no more. You know, they're not showing silent movies on TV no more either. <laughs> All right. I'm,
5: I don't, the no more. But uh, yeah, it is. Silent movie is not the biggest draw in the world, you know. There's, and a lot
1: of people have an accessibility issue with that because of the music, I think. Yeah. Because so many silent movies are attached to horrible scores. Oh, yeah. It's like the old timey don's like look, I get it. there's a fat guy on screen yeah, you know yeah. like it really doesn't aid the film at all. <laughs> uh, it's not until you really get sound pictures and then also people like Chaplin scoring their own silent films that it's like we really understand the the relationship between music and image.
5: yeah all of us before have like looked up. A silent movie on YouTube, and it just has like a screecher of a like score, yeah. like the audio's fucked up on it too, and yeah. it's just like, I, I'm sure that's happened to all of us, right?
1: And I, I'm sure all of us have listened to our own music during silent film, or even if it's like an experimental film that doesn't have audio. You know, the films of Stan Brakhage. Look, yeah, if you go to a 16 millimeter screening, you'll sit there in silence and listen to the whir of the projector, but you telling me you're going to run through that whole brackage DVD and dead silence in your fucking apartment? No, you're going to put on some music. So I think that the Paul Williams DJ Spooky score for Within Our Gates that Kino uh, included is really fantastic because it is really anachronistic and it has nothing to do uh, with the time period. It only has to do with the feelings of the movie and the images. Right.
6: I, I was going to say quickly, I, I like when... You go see a silent film with like live accompaniment, mm-hmm. and there's always like some older guy who just has huge like noise canceling headphones on. <laughs> it's just like no, no, thanks.
5: You got to build your own reality. So I, I, I admire that. Yeah.
6: Uh, yeah.
1: JT, do you? I mean, I just want to stick on this question a little bit. JT, do you do you uh, listen to music of your own when you watch silent movies? Because I know you watch some old shit. You're a, you're a dusthead. Uh,
4: yeah, for this one, I just muted the the score um, and listened to the Wiseman podcast throughout. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, sometimes I like, uh, I don't know, I dabble with my own music, like, in there. Because again, it's just like, I think it adds an interactive element to the cinema and... Like, I don't know, you can see how well it fits. I feel like that's part of the fun of, like, you throw on an album that, like, again, like, sometimes I'll I'll try and get, like, a longer album that might, like, time up with, like, about, like, a silent movie and see how that works out. But I I feel like a lot of the times I'm genuinely surprised by just picking something random and how it will, like, fit the, I don't know, fit the vibes, fit the mood.
1: So, within our (laughs) gates... A little context, you know, an opening title card even uh, implies the context that is a story about, you know, what blacks knew, but northern whites refused to believe, Mm -hmm. uh, as it says. And that kind of sets the scene for anything you want to know about this film. But of course, there's also, you know, uh, it's it's the Jim Crow South It is post Chicago race riot of 1919, which is like one of the most horrifying things uh, to ever happen in America, really. Um, just hundreds of people losing their homes and being killed uh, just in a straight up race riot Um, this film was presumed lost of course Oscar Michaud uh, you know he has a huge catalog that is mostly presumed lost but there's some available he was a very prominent novelist as well as a filmmaker Uh, he was a businessman he was like Mm -hmm. he and it shows in this movie that entrepreneurialism for him is the advancement in America like You have to like obviously there are fucking rights that need to be or wrongs that needed to be righted and rights that people need to be granted. Uh, But also he is a very big capitalist and this is like, you know, this is an American origin story. So what do you think it's going to be but capitalist? Um, And I think it's really interesting in that regard. It really is like. I don't know. I just I find him uh, if you read like about the homesteader, uh, one of his big novels or even just a summary of it, like you'll really see his perspective of advancement and success in America is just so ahead of his time. Yeah.
5: And like that's that's one of the main kind of pinpoints in this movie is kind of, you know, you hear it from multiple characters, you know, these people kind of wanting an education, you know, fair education for black people. As like kind of the way up, you know, it's it's all it's it's interesting in that way where it's not even really, you know, the black adults in the movie—they're not even really trying to secure a better like present for themselves, but more of like a a better future, and just kind of uh, all the the various problems that like you know the chaotic racism brings. I mean, this movie goes in a lot of different directions. You know what I mean, like traditionally like plot wise it's not it's got a lot going it's on. got a lot going on in a short 70 minutes but I think that's what makes this movie so interesting to me is kind of like it's a uh, all these different problems whirling things out of control you know with kind of Sylvia the um, main character as like the centerpiece but it's just so many different characters and their roles within the community that Michaud highlights and uh, I don't know it, it just takes a great temperature of the time period. While also just being an interesting art piece unto itself,
1: JT, had you uh, seen any other Oscar Micheaux before this?
4: Um, no, I had just finished like a collection of uh, Hoberman essays um, that yeah, I think it's called "Vulgar Modernism" or something like that. Um, and he has an, an interesting like piece about Micheaux, and it is sort of about like that kind of, like, hustle mentality and him being, like, a businessman. And I think, like, coupled with the fact, like, of him being a black filmmaker in America at that time, a lot of the content of uh, Hoberman's essay is, like, talking about, like, sort of uh, the shoddy kind of, like, production value of it, some of the acting kind of being, like, a little bit less refined. But seeing this, I was really surprised, like, with that as, like, kind of an unintentional lead-in because i think particularly in terms of like narrative form it's really compelling and like surprising for the
1: time yeah absolutely the the way Mm -hmm. that the character arcs intertwine with each other is really unbelievable because when you first get the first setup you know it's like a it's like a, a love triangle right like presumably um and it's almost like in terms of the shape of the story if a love triangle, the triangle physically, you know, you roll it on the ground or something. And every time it hits the ground, one person falls off and another person gets on. Yeah. And it's Sylvia and it's her cousin and it's all these other men coming into their lives, whether it's as a suitor, as someone who's going to help them with the education project. Mm-hmm. It's someone who hits them with their fucking car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like it could be anything. Um. But I feel like. The way that Michaud jumps from plot to plot, it does feel very novelistic. Uh, It feels like each of these men that come in and out of the movie have their own, you know, chapters in the movie. And it's also very early for a feature film. So it's like, we don't know what feature film plotting is yet. Think about the feature films that have made waves at this point. Birth of a Nation. Yeah. Like um and we'll get to Birth of a Nation of course like the depiction of uh the Ku Klux Klan in that movie the depiction of black people in that movie of course mm-hmm. um and the the reinvigoration of the Ku Klux Klan versus this you know film being presumably lost for so long discovered in Spain uh, under the title The Black Woman um translated of course. Mm-hmm. Uh and <laughs> like comparing what Griffith did quote unquote History written in lightning, you know, Uh, compared to this film, how much he's squeezing in in terms of advancement in film grammar and story, just narrative excellence, uh, despite the fact that he's borrowing old recycled costumes and props and on really shabby sets and stuff like that. Um, You know, if that's history written in lightning, this is thundering toward the future of film style, I think. I think Griffith establishes classicism. Obviously, you can't deny that. We'll talk about Griffith again later. Um, But the way that Michaud is just like doing things completely on his own, uh, according to what I've read, using his the style of his novels to inform the style of his filmmaking. He's just uh to borrow a Malcolm phrase, he's a one of one filmmaker, especially for this era, and I feel like so much that I gleamed from this movie is looking forward toward the future of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah I mean, in, in the, regards to how we talk about America and downtrodden people in America versus successful white people to be, you know, quite yeah. black and white about it. The non-linear
6: editing and also just like the complex, like parallel editing is just like really striking goes towards a lot of what you're talking about. Um, I also just love like the way that the the movie plays with um, this like city versus the country thing, which, you know, is like apparent in like so many genres um, and obviously was in literature. And just like, you know, these different possibilities that are found in each place. And, you know, the ways usually that like the city can perverse our lives and influence us poorly, like Alma's, you know, stealing the letter and being selfish. Whereas, you know, the country is this place where you can go and build something yourself and like influence uh, low-income children in a,
1: in a positive way. Um, it's, but then there's uh, also really the cool. dynamic yeah. of the country here being the South, yeah. where it's, right, you right. know, lynchings are still very regular there. And so that dynamic is like... So that might be the most depressing part of the movie is that she wants to go down south uh, to collect funds to open up a school up north, or is it for a school down south as well?
2: Uh,
1: I, I forget about the exact plot machinations yeah. of that, but the fact that, you know, free, uh, you know, northern blacks who had been freed longer, southern blacks recently freed intertwining in this movie going back and forth the city the country Mm -hmm. you know the future versus the homestead whatever you want to qualify all (laughs) these things as like the the implication of racism obviously is missing from like every American movie of this era other than this one (laughs) like every time you look at those dynamics in these movies it's just so obviously elided and this movie is so strictly about that yeah. Even if there's not that many characters, there is one character going, oh, we're not going to give money to the black school. But like, really, it's about the systems that created an impossibly difficult world for black people to navigate in that time in America.
5: And, you know, like you were said before, the characters that, you know, reside within, you know, kind of this uh, external pressure, like uh, I, I think, you know, two two characters come up to mind, but like I love uh, that little segment with uh, uh, old Ned, they call him, the preacher, and kind of oh like, yeah, uh, I, I think this is one of the, you know, more brilliant strokes of the movie, where, you know, we have uh, old Ned, you know, he preaches to the black people, you know,
1: Well, he essentially preaches. A very conservative method to yeah. them to stay how they are and basically be thankful. Yeah, like yeah, like,
5: yeah. It's like the way the way we live is much more humble and righteous than the way you know the white man lives. Well, yeah, yeah, he
1: agrees with the lady who doesn't want to fund the black school and says essentially that you know the black people are going to work night and day, not get educated, but at least they go right to heaven. You know, yeah, exactly. And yeah. then so old Ned preaches that as well, but then there's a twist of fate where the these evil white people are literally influencing Ned yeah telling him to tell them like uh anti-voting you know like suffragette like don't be a suffragette don't get don't get black people or women the right to vote we just gotta believe in God you know yeah. and uh it's it's a really evil thing and it's pulled off brilliantly I think old Ned is a very charismatic performer oh, definitely. uh to, to speak on like Hoberman or other people giving You know, shoddy qualities to the acting. I think the acting is one of the better qualities of the movie in general. Um, Also, that segment reminds me of in 30 Rock, where uh, Alec Baldwin's trying to get Tracy Morgan to get black people to vote Republican. No matter what, black Americans are gonna always vote Democrat. They will, won't they? Mm -hmm.
9: Unless. Black people don't vote.
1: Just don't do it. The amount of time it takes for you to vote. You can play three games of pool. Three! And ass fresh. I'm Tracy Jordan, and I improved this message. Paid for by the committee to reinvade Vietnam. A hundred years later, uh, that kind of thing is still being done in like a farcical sitcom. Is just insane and hilarious. And you and bring it's up- sad, of course. <laughs> it's very sad, of course.
4: <laughs> I, I, don't, bring- I don't really
5: find it that funny, but yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you bring up 30 Rock in that particular moment. I feel like... Feels akin to like a very dumb thought I had during that moment of it because it's like that's kind of like it made me think of a family guy cutaway because it was just <laughs> like a cutaway, like you have that little side adventure with Ned and then he doesn't really play back into like the main story. You sort of get this like minor diversion, like expanding on like, a social problem of the time, and then it's just sort of, like, you see how it impacts... Which is very,
6: very novelistic.
4: Yeah, exactly, and you see how it, like, impacts the, uh, like, main story, because obviously that relays into, like, oh, there's, like, a little tension there of, like, oh, will this, like, is it, yeah, Miss Warwick will, whether or not she'll be swayed by this story and give uh, Sylvia money for her school the invention of that is just very interesting because it's like obviously you have like cross-cutting with like Griffith as well but this feels something it feels unique uh to I don't know Michaud
5: yeah and like with old Ned like it shows how you know within this kind of structure of like um you know black people being recently freed but heavily oppressed by white people that you know there needs to be certain black people within the community that act as like a kind of as a liaison between like Mm -hmm. black and white interests kind of mitigating progress you know on the black side while you know getting money as old ned does from you know for the church kind of you know uh greasing his own pockets in order and these for these that's how these you know systems work like another character that comes to mind that's that shows the complexity of the social dynamics is when we kind of get to Griddlestone and, you know, in the flashback sequence and how his killer is a white man who got upset that he compared him to a black guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, you know, it, that
1: flashback is like hardcore. Like you see all the racism in the movie and then it's like, let's take it back like 20 years and see how much worse it was even 20 years ago. Yeah. You know?
5: Yeah. And I think, I think that's, uh, You know, you talking about films not really, like, uh, tapping into the complexities of racism at the time. Like, let alone the complexities, just actual racism itself. Mm -hmm. This one really taps deep into the vein and has, you know... Like, a character like that is... I don't know. It just shows the the deep understanding of the dynamics going on. And And I I, I think that's so interesting.
1: It also, like it's such a feat of combining didactism with melodrama. Yeah. Like the fact Mm -hmm. that all of these characters can be signposts to like, well, let's talk about crime. Let's talk about education. Let's talk about the advancement of legal rights. Let's talk about blank. And they all have great melodramatic arcs that run through Sylvia. Like it's, I think it's a real feat that he can kind of go back and forth like that. Like the first 15 minutes are pure melodrama and then it gets into the education plot which is pure didactism no pun intended it's about learning too but um like i I think that that's maybe the most genius stroke of the movie is the way that it has this like operatic melodramatic thing as well as so clearly showing you what the fuck is up with society (laughs) i was just gonna say apparently the uh
6: sylvia getting hit by the car scene was potentially probably influenced by Michaud's wife uh, a few years earlier getting hit by a car and then was like refused by the hospital because she was black Wow
5: damn well th- I think that's that speaks to why the melodrama and kind of the reality work so well because these horrors were so real you know what I mean it's like something like like kind of the the quote unquote twist at the end with the the uh, the flash the Griddlestone flashback and kind of Sylvia um kind of you know about to be raped by Griddlestone's brother mm-hmm. only for you know her top getting rustled to reveal a birthmark above you know her chest which mm-hmm. shows that you know oh wait i realize that you know this is my my bastard daughter that i'm about to yeah. rape. but like you know th- these things you know sound kind of i don't know like it's 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 it, on paper, maybe it sounds like, oh, it's kind of crazy melodrama, but you know, these were the, the horrors of the time or whatever. So it kind of, I think the melding of those two techniques works so well just because it speaks to the reality.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think to speak on the style a little bit, because we have been so narratively focused a lot of the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, people have talked about the drab sets of Michaud and they're very low budget, early movies, early mm-hmm. low budget movies. It's like what you expect almost, but... There is a lot of stylistic innovation, too. Um, There's great uses of dissolves in this where it's almost fading back and forth a couple times uh, as well as just dissolving from a medium to a close-up or something like that. But in the Griddlestone Stone flashback, uh, his servant who snitches on them... Ephraim. uh, Ephraim, who also gets lynched. You know, him... Like, his whole arc is, first of all, incredible, but the way that his almost, like, victorious face is then uh, juxtaposed with his face being lynched uh, in more of a wide shot is, like, one of the most, like... I don't even know how to describe that shot because the dude is evil. He's just snitching on people, you know, yeah. to get a leg up with the white people. But then also, the the leg up that he's getting with those white people, those people are just as happy to lynch him, of course, and it's just horrifying. Um, So you know, we've kind of bounced around the whole narrative. I don't think we need to take it any beat-by-beat beat kind of stuff, and uh, I think we just want to kind of wrap it up. JT, uh, what do what, what you... What do you make of this whole thing? <laughs> uh, um,
4: racism is a very complicated issue. It's it bad. Is. Um, I uh, am going to give this four bullets. Uh, it was a great movie. Um, to return to... I guess sort of like stylistic choices in terms of like presentation of the narrative. When you brought up Ephraim, there was a moment there that I thought was like, I don't know, very novel for the time as well, where it's like when uh, like Sylvia has like learned to read uh, and she is telling her father or like, I guess uh, like adoptive father, um that they'll be able to keep things straight with the Griddlestone family on account of the finances. Um, there's a moment where like Ephraim is like telling Griddlestone, he's like scheming sort of trying to get like throw him under the bus. And then there's like an inner title that's like, but this is what actually went down. And it's just there are so many, for me, like, the the narrative parts are the strongest and the way it sort of has that novelistic structure and just sort of explores all sorts of crevices um, that represent racism at the time and such a deep understanding, as we were saying, about the different types of racism, like the sort of internalized racism that Ephraim is playing there as well. It's, uh, I don't know, such a, like a big complicated movie that again, I feel like I'm going to come back to this a lot with the early films that we explore. And I think it's because I don't watch like as many as I should, but you return to like the twenties and like early decades in cinema. And I don't know, you just are surprised by how many new choices were being made and just like how innovative they were at the time.
1: What about you, Sean? You you know, you specialize in these nonfiction films by Fred Wiseman on your brilliant podcast, The Wiseman Podcast, but what do you make of this made up stuff? This fiction? Yeah, kind of a waste of time. Um, <laughs>
6: but if you think about
1: it, there's some reality in it too. No,
6: I, I uh I echo a lot of what JT's saying and I would also give it uh four bullets, But I think that's it's more of like Leaving one like leaving a half star on the table because like it is hard while you're watching it to like really wrap your head around and appreciate the first time around just like all of those novel decisions like he's talking about um, and the complexity like honestly it's like hard to follow because there's so much going on um, that I, I look forward to revisiting it but uh, and give that half star to DJ Spooky when I come
1: back. Oh, absolutely, uh, Malcolm. What about you?
5: Yeah, I'm gonna give it uh, four and a half bullets this is my second time uh watching it so yeah i kind of was expecting kind of like the non uh traditional plot mechanisms at the time and kind of just was soaking everything in and i mean like previously said it's like just the way he kind of goes through problem to problem and you know the, the the sub problems of those problems and uh is just it's it's very powerful it's like a very powerful movie that Mm -hmm. uh just kind of lays uh i don't know just lays everything out on the line and kind of just gives it each its due and kind of interconnects them in interesting ways and uh yeah i think i think what sean said is right like it is it's um it it is one of those where it's like it's it's better to think about it afterwards sometimes because you process what you just saw but uh yeah, Michaud right out the gate, you know, major talent.
1: Yeah, no, I just love how jam-packed this film is. Like, it becomes hard to follow because of it, and all of the subplots of subplots, and there's, like, a, a blackmail subplot, and there's, like, a card-cheating subplot, by the way. Yeah. The visualization the way it oh, yeah. shows uh the guy cheating at cards you know uh not dealing off the uh dealing off the top to get a little better angle at the card uh at, at a mirror below the table mm-hmm. uh, to see what he's dealing just really well done in terms of how he shoots that and also the criminal element you know when uh she gets her bag stolen or, or her money stolen out of her bag rather and there's that great chase scene that ends with the insert shot of the dude tripping the thief uh, and there's just so much going on you could talk forever about it on a stylistic level but I, I'm glad we spent more uh, of our time on it on a narrative level because it's, that's its biggest strength mm-hmm. uh, so I'm gonna go four and a half bullets and you know part of the reason we brought the podcast back um, so many times people would reach out to us while it was gone and they said so many nice things to us and I don't know. I feel like we didn't do it last time enough, and I think this time, like, we really need to give it up to the fans, because we do it for them, you know?
5: And I think I think we should hear from our fans, so maybe you should cut to them real quick. Go.
1: All right, that's enough. We'll <laughs> be right back on Extended Clip. <laughs> <laughs> what the... and we're back actually yeah. on extended clip this time for real yeah so we're back uh it's Malcolm in the middle you guys remember that segment but it's a little different this time
5: we got to we got to get all the years in you know we say 100 years of cinema but we're only doing 1920 and you know, 2020 this week, and uh, we're doing like what 18 episodes or something like that. We so gotta we, fill in some gaps. We gotta fill. So I guess it's yeah, we got we got some years for you here. Yeah, some, this some is this from, is a
1: little this mm-hmm. is a big gap filler one. This is gonna be from the beginning of cinema all the way until 1919 edition of Malcolm in the Middle. Ooh, 1919, mm-hmm. the John Cale
0: special. Down and dark and meetings on the
5: Yeah, for all those John Cale fans out there, I'm sure you love the year 1919.
1: You're a ghost. La <laughs> la 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 la. That
5: one's for all the John Cale fans out there. I'm sure you recognize the song.
1: Life is unfair. Yeah. It's Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. Paris 1919. <laughs> what about Paris 1913? Is that when Le Vampire was out? I don't know. JT, take it away. Uh,
4: 1915 <laughs> and to 1916. And you stepped on my joke of that I was going to call it Les Vampires, uh, which is a misleading title. There's none. Yeah, of that no, that's there.
1: the uh, that's the Jess Franco film Vampiros Lesbos. <laughs>
4: um, but yeah, this is uh, like fucking uh, 10, 10 episodes uh, by Louis fouillade Um. And so it's like kind of like a bin, like kind of binge worthy kind of exactly stuff. exactly it's some people were saying that that was the first TV um, would you say it's re bingeable it is re bingeable I would go back there are, like honestly in that sense like I mean there is like a very stupid like base level comparison to television but mm-hmm. I mean I think the aspect of it being one of the first like Moving image thrillers and really getting that point down. It does have that quality of like um, I was really uh, surprised about how the narrative is just has so many fucking twists and turns. And I mean, some are like uh, really convoluted and like dumb, but in a, a very fun, enjoyable way. Uh, he's getting into a lot of like early, like just right there from the beginning. Fuyad is talking about images being false and deceptive so many people are other people a lot of taking off masks or hoods or people pretending to be other guys it's great like they're the through line in general of the plot like I don't know I wouldn't be able to tell you it's very inconsequential but it's like a reporter um, investigating like this uh, this murderous deceitful ring in France and it's really exciting uh, the whole time like there are many times where I did I don't know I was, it was hopping through it very quickly because I'd be curious where it was going to go from there and I don't know you sort of get like in very early stages kind of like genre conventions I feel like this things that I would read about this like most frequently are obviously big influences on Fritz Lang uh, and Hitchcock and it makes sense. There's all the basics are there. You get a little uh, comic relief with this dumb oaf, Mazume, who winds up. Be, he's like at first on kind of the bad guy team because he's being guilted to like uh, like help get money for his son to go to school or some shit like that. Uh, you have a, a sexy lady, Irma Vep. Uh, in there in the mix you got some chase scenes yeah no it's action-packed and a lot of fun and just like the narrative quality again I feel like jumps out the most uh, to me in terms of being like really innovative but in terms of formal techniques there are a lot of like interesting like color overlays to like determine like what's like in the evening or like what's under the like like in a room where the lights are turned off and just like neat uh set design where you're in a place that has like uh like a false like drawer where you can like go between rooms or like the classic sort of Scooby Doo bullshit where it's like someone's peeking through a painting uh it's all there baby and it's great i loved it
1: What about you Sean?
6: Um <clears throat> I'm glad you
4: asked. Um
6: yeah uh just kind of <laughs> threw this at me. But um I I actually wanted to talk a little bit about this filmmaker who uh started in, in the late 1900, 1909. Um and nineteen yeah like nineteen oh nine and then ended up working through the forties, but uh didn't create a, a ton. Um but he was a uh document like early documentary filmmaker, not not uh this boring stuff you see on PBS but he did like minutes long nature photography, basically, but moving photography, obviously. And uh, it's it's really incredible stuff. He has this one called the acrobatic fly that is just like three minutes. And it's this close up profile of a fly that's like on like a little chair, basically. And it's just like juggling objects, like little, you know, wood chips or whatever. And like Interesting. a t- like, toothpick. It's so crazy to watch the fly do that but also to think about him ca- like capturing this on film um, and then something that would be more like typical of his work is uh the same year in 1910 he had this film called the birth of a flower that again is only a few minutes long and it's just like a series of flowers and it's like tinted black and white film uh which is really nice and um it's just like a bunch of different types of flowers opening and uh he did some underwater stuff like that too and just observed like, like parts of, of wildlife, but did it in a way that is like, so like close up that it becomes like abstract and moving. And it's less about like reportage and, and much more about like the poetry of, um, the movement. Um, and and it's quite beautiful. I found out about him because there was like a, the guy from, um, Tinder sticks. Um, he made, he put together like this, this DVD a few years ago, um, and of like all of his films or a bunch of them put together and like played music over them but um he was british and he did a lot of work for like uh you know the state
1: huh the state you say the british empire no that sounds awesome i i literally no no the show
6: that. the uh fantasy football program um <clears throat> the state oh wait that's the league god damn it. the
1: league <laughs> 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 Dude, we're all like rusty today. I'm yeah, doing pretty good. That's yeah, so. <laughs> I, I bet you are. What, uh, what are you watching? A freaking D.W. Griffith movie or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did.
5: I uh, I watched. Dude, it's it's like you know what I'm gonna say before I say it.
1: So we uh, we, we we go through the trouble of watching an Oscar Michaud movie to write the wrongs of history. Uh, yeah. And now <laughs> yeah. you're gonna come on
5: to to remind you to oh. rewrite history in lightning. Uh, well, maybe that's some someone said that at one point. I didn't, but uh. A Corner in Wheat by D. W. Griffith. Now, this movie, this movie actually, I mean, you know, it reminds me a lot of uh, what's the movie we just watched, Within Our Gates. Within Our Gates it reminds me a lot of Within Our Gates because I think it's it does it's it's about social issues or whatever, or I guess very explicitly in this one, wealth distribution. To give a, a short overview, cause this is a short movie. It's about fourteen minutes. It's, it's very simple. It's about a greedy tycoon who decides to uh, corner the wheat market and basically, you know, in doing so, basically uh, uh, owning all the wheat in America or the world or something like that, he, you know, raises prices on other common goods. And, you know, this is kind of shown through, uh, you know, he makes the decision to corner the wheat. You know, he tells all his boys in suits, you know, it's like, we, we got we got wheat, we got to get all the wheat, and they get all the wheat, and then, um, basically, it, this kind of a juxtaposition of shots, you have, you know, these rich fat cats partying up, you know, a woman on each arm, you know, they're drinking, having fun, having a ball, but cut to the supermarket, everyone's, you know, not able to buy bread, you know, not able to buy basic needs and it kind of uh does that a few times you know cut to the party just a uh, nondescript fun having pouring drinks and then just the conditions in the grocery store are getting worse and worse and kind of a uh, it a uh, uh ending in you know violent upheaval and then uh eventually you know there's a uh, the rich guy who decided all this, he gets a little telegram. They're like, you know, you're making more money. If you, Four thousand more dollars was deposited into your account. And he's like, oh, goody, you know, more money, more money. And he's in his near his wheat silo. And then, you know, maybe the hand of God or whatever you want to call it pushes him into the. Uh, the wheat silo and he drowns and all of his wheat and he dies and it's kind of uh it's bookmarked kind of by these two shots of the wheat fields themselves very uh, picturesque shots of like kind of uh you know wheat being sowed and kind of people starting out uh far in the distance of the frame and kind of walking up to it you know very uh painting like quality and i think that's what's uh interesting about this movie it's very simple it's just shown you um, I mean, you know, it's kind of an indictment on capitalism, right? But it's, and it's just showing you the spe- specific, uh, you know, uh, the cause and effect of cornering the market, the monopoly, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the early Griffith stuff, like obviously it takes later on for, uh, an American to have this kind of point of view on it, but yeah. they are kind of indicting capitalism a lot of times. You think of the, the, one of the most poetic ones ever, the unchanging sea, Very similar setup when you think about it, because it's not about the people succeeding versus the people suffering from those people's success. Mm -hmm. It's about husbands going off to make a dollar and their wives suffering of loneliness. Yeah, And it's, that's, the small-scale personal version of markets versus the few becoming rich is someone just trying to make money and the other person suffering out of loneliness. And I think uh, those basic juxtapositions and the poetic images of whether it's a field of wheat or the unchanging sea, the titular sea, um, I mean, come on. Griffith's imagery is like next level at Uh, that point.
5: It's amazing. I mean, yeah, the wheat shots are, are great. The bookmarks of the wheat field are very painting you know they're almost of the tradition of painting almost mm-hmm. more than filmmaking you you know you would yeah. say and then uh, kind of the using the juxtaposition of the edit you know as early in 1909 you know he's being very innovative here to show you kind of a um, cause and effect or it's not even exactly that linear it's uh, you know uh, what do you call it the it's just kind of like these people partying and the you know the hectic grocery store, but you can just infer from those two things, you know, what's going on, you know. So, uh, David, what was his work? Yeah. David Wark Griffith. Yeah, I'm gonna name my kid Wark. 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 Um, you know, I'm just good, putting in Wark. Good, good movie. Good stuff, DW.
1: That's what I'm gonna say next time someone like screenshots me, like, Erm, he's watching Unchanging Sea again. It's like, uh, <laughs> does like, that happen? I'm just putting in Wark. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) i watched another film by a controversial early filmmaker charlie chaplin yeah uh
5: innocent it was a different time well you know i think i've said this on the podcast before but you look at the relationship he had the they would stay together for a long time so it's obviously there's a deeper connection
1: it's you know look, look at what another great filmmaker would say later on the heart wants what it wants You can't help these things. He also said 80% of success is just showing up. (laughs) Yes, we are talking about Woody Allen. But we we digress back to The Immigrant by Mm. Chaplin from 1917, one of the most effective of his two-reelers, uh, it's the most message-heavy of his two-reelers. And of his two-reel period, it might be the turning point, or at least the mutual films in general, um, or, or maybe the turning point of his narrative chops. You know, he knew how to stage the hijinks. He knew how to tug at your heartstrings a little bit. But he's making perfect, complete films at this point. Uh, and The Immigrant is just that. It is one of the first great camera movement films. Obviously, early on, you have... Uh, the inner title, the first section, A Widow and Her Child. Uh, and it's funny that it, it, it even gives that title first because you just see that shot and then you're on the boat and you get, you know, Chaplin playing cards with the guys on the boat and uh, just general boat hijinks. And, of course, the boat rocking is uh, accomplished by the camera on this jib kind of thing, uh, you know, swinging back and forth, which, of course, makes this such a, a, an early essential camera movement film. Um, and, you know, he's he's shooting dice like an old-timey baseball pitcher. That's one of my favorite things ever. Um, and you know the first uh, glance he gets at Edna Pervance his co-star in this she's like embarrassed and hiding from the camera as the tramp looks right down the lens of the camera and it's in that moment that you know he understands film grammar even better than Griffith better than anyone in the world at this time in my opinion in terms of how you affect viewers with your films uh, just that perfect moment of a meet cute and getting the audience on the tramp side and getting them to know Edna, you know, she's a little shy. Yeah. She's an immigrant. She's downtrodden like him. They're both immigrants on a ship. Then they come to the restaurant. So many hijinks in the restaurant. It's insane. It's got me feeling like Zach Lowe after a good game. Like after a like, <laughs> Kevin Durant 50-point game, and I'm yeah. like, he did the soup thing. He- <laughs> you're you're in one beer mode. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. <laughs> was my one beer of the season. <laughs> Uh everyone has like ripped pockets, you know. There's uh Chaplain's eating beans with a knife. Uh there's the big scene of his hat going back and forth with the waiter. That's hilarious. Um, but of course it comes down to him not being able to pay the bill, him and the woman he met on the boat earlier. And what is the deuce ex machina here? It is the most powerful thing of all time. It is an artist who sees two struggling immigrants and says, I'll pay for your tab, I'm gonna paint you guys, or something like that, you know. Um, and uh, then they get out of the jam, they pay, they get out of there, and then he basically forces her to marry him, Uh, very adorably, though, of course. But you think about that, and you think about the role of the artist, and are they literally going to be doing this are they literally going to downtrodden people and handing them money here's your fucking lunch here's your dinner no because artists don't have money like that but it's about the responsibility of the artist you know And, and, and this almost sounds contradictory because of some of the movies we talk about but it's like and it's not always the responsibility of the artist either but I think there is a certain special type of artist and the tramp is one of them who feels the responsibility to communicate with people who are downtrodden in life Whether they're poor, they're immigrants, they're, you know, gone through a bad breakup, they're an orphan, Mm -hmm. uh, their dog went away, you know? Anything that the tramp can get to you emotionally with, he's going to do. And I think that this film is just so beautiful in the way that an artist bridges two immigrants from being put back on the boat, essentially, to being on their way to the American dream. He lends Mm -hmm. them a little money. He says, go get married you know and it's like it's a fairy tale of course but this is like a traditional american story this is like one of the most essential american films of the era it reminds me of the bob dylan song of course i pity the poor immigrant and the interaction of yeah as i said artistry and people who need help more and especially the immigrant and the american dream which is of course as linked as any two things can possibly be if you know anything about america yeah. so um Let's listen to a little Bob, and we'll be right back.
0: Who hears but does not see Who falls in love with wealth itself And turns his back on me This is town with blood Whose visions in the final end Must shatter like the glass to pass.
1: I cook on my mic (laughs) and we're back on extended clip before we get into city hall i wanted to throw it to one of our fans again to see uh you know what's new with fred wiseman i can't turn the fan off there we go wait no it's still on How do you do this? There we go. People are going to love this new bit. Yeah, no diminishing returns for that bit at all.
5: (laughs) I was going to say, I could could already tell that people are fans of it. (laughs) Wow. What?
1: I think we need to get a response to that bit from our fans. Okay, so City Hall uh, is the... Right now the most recent film by Frederick Wiseman to be released uh publicly at least uh he has one on the festival circuit right now doesn't he Sean or something like that isn't isn't there one coming
3: Yeah uh
6: yeah he does I have a confession to make though I watched the uh, Harold Becker joint with Al Pacino for this um so. Oh no <laughs> Sea of Love mm-hmm. Uh well one? their second their second collab oh, okay. uh, the the Paul Schrader penned City Hall Um
2: Damn.
6: yes he does have a uh, um a sixty-minute uh, fictional feature. A couple. It's first,
1: right? Third. Third fictional feature. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Look, I'm not the expert here. Go listen to Wiseman podcast.
5: True. We we like to bring in experts like Pawn Stars for
1: these, <laughs> these, these
5: tricky movies. We can't quite figure the. If worth we could of. get
1: Pawn Stars like level resources on here, I would be so happy. Like the Pawn yeah. Stars where. He gets fucking uh chumly to fucking get Bob Dylan to sign a copy of Self Portrait. <laughs> Might be the most heartwarming moment in T V history and Bob's like, Yeah, man, too chumly, okay. <laughs> like It's <laughs> like the I forgot who the the boss guy is, not the old one, but the strict one. He's like why would someone get a record that says "Too Chumly on it? <laughs> and I swear, man, if I saw a self-portrait <laughs> signed "Too Chumly, you know I'm dropping at least five hundred on that. Yeah, five hundred bands,
5: because yeah, you know that's that's it's an expensive item.
1: That's true. That's true. The sound the sounds of uh, vinyl playing both versions of "Little Sadie" on that album mm-hmm. uh, with the accompaniment of the chumly signature is just. It's just priceless. So, City Hall, though, uh, Frederick Wiseman. Sean, why don't you give us just like for the absolute, just like fucking water brain who's never seen a Frederick Wiseman <laughs> movie before? What's this guy's
4: fucking? Me? Oh. <laughs>
1: uh,
5: oh, yeah, like JT. <laughs>
4: Is this your first one, JT? Yeah. I mean, I like uh, during a particular free leech event. I have I downloaded all of them and they're just waiting in on yeah, the yeah. hard drive, ready yeah. to crack one open during Toyotathon. Uh, yeah, um, and well, uh, yeah, this was my first one. Cool, cool. Um,
6: yeah, so City Hall, the film that Jason Bailey called Competency Porn, uh, is uh, kind kind of the uh, it's this huge four and a half hour thing, but. Um, He's is building off a lot of things that he did beforehand, and, and but his method, Eddie, uh, is or yeah is, is just kind of like going to a place, uh, an institution usually, but it doesn't have to be. It can be like Central Park or whatever. But um, and shooting uh, him, he does the sound, and he has a cameraman that now he's he's worked with since um, the uh, late seventies, and they just go to something without researching it and just shoot for like six to eight weeks and just kind of like follow people around and try to catch stuff, listen in on meetings. Um, and then Wiseman spends like the next like eight months, eight months, usually, uh, just editing it all together by himself, just like kind of pouring over and obsessing over footage and thinking about, uh, the way that, uh, what he, um, He's trying to put together something that really captures the feeling of being there, of visiting this place, and also like treating, like doing them fairly, uh, representing the people that he captured fairly, but um, also kind of like trying to put in, uh, through editing, uh, his his point of view, and um, lots of times that is, uh, includes a lot of like, just funny observations, uh they can often be very political, uh, very like humanistic, you have like ironic, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, that's, that's sort of the nutshell.
1: Sounds pretty boring. No. Um, so that's the thing though. <laughs> boredom is a topic I want to get to because I think, um, you know what? I'm so sorry, our fans are being so loud right now. Uh, I <laughs> forgot that they were talking while uh, I wasn't talking. Um, boredom is interesting in the context of Frederick Wiseman. Because you think about some of these things, it's just fucking meetings in a lot of these movies. You got like an hour's worth of meetings in a row sometimes. And if you were in those meetings for your job, you would want to fucking kill yourself. These movies make me realize that I'm so fucking happy I've never been a public servant and never will. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing against them. I think it's they're braver than the troops. I mean, t- technically troops are public servants too, but yeah. uh, you know what I the mean? The most elite type of public servants. They servant. are the most elite <laughs> type of public servants are the people you see in Fred <laughs> Wiseman movies. But like, I think that the fact that the boredom of everyday life that leads you into the contemplative moments that are your interior life are a part of these Wiseman films And the thing is, unless you're a self-centric hog, you're not going to be thinking about your own interior life, though. These films make you think about the experiences that you and people you know have had that have to do with this, you know? Like, you think about some of these meetings and what they're accomplishing and how they affect life for these people. Like, I feel like when I'm Watching one of these movies, like with Monrovia, Indiana, you know, there's like a 15 minute scene about the budget for a park bench being built. Mm-hmm. And it's like it, it it sends me on all these crazy, you know, thought spirals about bureaucracy and process and how things are accomplished in a city and how things are accomplished in any institution that Wiseman is presenting. But also, if you just describe some of these scenes they're going to sound like the most boring things ever put to celluloid or digital but it's just it's his skill as an editor that really brings these to life You can have the most boring fucking presentation ever being given about a city budget, (laughs) but sometimes Wiseman will cut to someone who is just zoned out, and you're like, oh, he's like me. Yeah. Like, that guy's (laughs) like me in this meeting. Or you look to someone who is, like, clearly frustrated or writing with their pen really hard, and it almost turns into a people-watching thing. And I kind of hate that phrase. It's kind of condescending about, like, oh, look at these freaks in public, you know? Um, because I'm usually one of them. Uh, people probably people watch me all the time, but um, I, I think in terms of real life character studies, these films are so interesting. People write about City Hall as a Marty Walsh character study, but I think every single person in this film, other than Marty Walsh, is more interesting, and Wiseman <laughs> shows them oh, to be yeah. more interesting. Well, just
5: uh, interesting, you know. You know, he says some interesting things, of course. Of course, but it's you know, he's he's always giving a speech to someone or, you know, I mean, it's his job, of course, you know, he's the mayor, I'm not really faulting him for doing that, but the way he's presented, you know, he's like at a certain event and he's, you know, pandering to the people at the event and, uh, it's, and the people who voice the real concerns, you know what I mean, whether to him, against him or whatever, you know, these are the people or the people just silently reacting, you know, uh, being bored or, you know, giving a face, uh, a false face of interest. You know, these are the more uh, human, you know, people to me in the movie. And like, yeah, uh, Jason Bailey calling something like this constant, uh, con- competency com- porn. Know. Yeah, I can't even say that word. Well, he should
1: learn a little bit about competency as a critic. But Yeah. <laughs> or, or
5: porn as well. I'm <laughs> sure he
1: knows quite a bit about porn. <laughs> uh, At least four minutes worth a
5: night. <laughs> True, but um, it's it's interesting because it's like uh, it's hard to see it that way for me. I guess you know (laughs) what I mean when yeah it's it's like there's there's conflict everywhere you go and problems. It's 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 more of a discussion. It's almost like everything
1: Marty says is then contradicted by how those things actually operate in the city. One of the first scenes in the movie
6: is like seeing this like cute gay marriage. And in the city hall, and then it ends with like the woman flubbing it up. and
2: now, with this ring, I be wed. I be wed. perfect And as much as Becca and Molly have exchanged rings, have have consented to matrimony um and uh vows by the authority vested in me by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, I now pronounce you hu- uh, married. <laughs> Saying like you
6: are now husband. I, I mean, you are now, white. It, it's just like, it, it. it's such a perfect little like encapsulation of like, when you start a scene, when you start watching a, a Wiseman scene, like you don't know how it's going to end uh, one, but like also like the ending so often changes your perception of what you just watched. But like, there's something here where you see it and you go, Oh, cool. Like this is a, this is, you know, a progressive thing and they're doing it. And then there's still like this. This stigma that's like seeping through. It's like exactly like that, the like amazing like building, uh, fucking, uh, what is it, inspection scene where it's just like you're going through and you're just like, okay, this is interesting, you know, this is part of the city's job. They got to check all this stuff out. It makes sense. Due diligence. And then it ends with the guy being like, yeah, not a bad view until that one gets built, huh? Yeah. And, <laughs> and no. It's just like, it's the whole thing of like, you know, how rapid the, the building. Uh, development is in this city it, it, it's yeah yeah i, I don't go understand back to the
1: gay marriage scene because i think that's such a great uh example of wiseman as an editor not just within one scene but how he connects his scenes and uh because think about this like uh no let me lay this on you uh, so massachusetts right that's is that the first state to legalize gay marriage or at least that was a a big watershed state at least um, I remember that from being a teenager, at least before it was a federal thing. Um, so it's like, yeah, they have bragging rights for that. Like, oh, we, were, we hey, kid, we were fucking marrying gays in Dorchester, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, back, back when you were in fucking short pants, kid. And my cousin's gay married. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's white. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Wow! Again, my favorite quote of the thing, Marty Walsh thing, everyone always talks about racist Boston, racist Boston, racist Boston. <laughs>
6: <laughs>
1: but anyway, going back to that gay marriage thing, then about 30 minutes later, you get a homelessness meeting that ends with the guy basically saying, like, look, LGBTQ youth are the people in Boston at most risk of homelessness right now. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, well, we have marriage, though. Like, they can yeah, get yeah. married, though.
5: Yeah, in in like some the back office somewhere, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's you know what you were saying, Eddie, about you know you thinking about the mechanics and you know uh, of how a city runs and you know all that, all those different things. Like, it makes like like the woman who's marrying you know these people. It's like that's probably not even her main job, too. It's like it's 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 she
1: gets pulled away for that for fifteen minutes a week. Yeah, so it's just it's
5: just so funny to see this little. You know, slice of uh, you know this, how the city works, and kind of it just makes you consider all all the different factors in kind of this one short scene. And you know, with kind of editing almost being at the forefront when I'd watch a Wiseman movie like this, anytime he decides to show something, you know, you could I don't know read into that or not. I mean, you should read into it because I think it's it's very important. But like you were talking, Sean, about the inspection scene, like. I love that uh, Wiseman shows that guy kind of fumbling the cock. Oh uh, no! My cock pumper. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, it's just so, take that. <laughs> it, it's so funny that he he puts that in there too. But I think these are <laughs> the small pleasures that you know you need to have um, in this movie to kind of I don't know keep me satisfied. I need to see someone fumble caulk or eat a sandwich while someone's eating. You know yeah, that, I mean,
6: that's, that's uh, the thing. That's yeah. the lady who
1: writes really aggressively. Like she's like fisting her pen while she's writing notes in a meeting. Yeah. Yeah.
6: That That's kind of, that, that is one of the great pleasures of watching Wiseman, especially in these later, like these longer films is like, it, it is like, you know, he's observing and whatever, but like, uh, and you were talking Eddie about sort of the duration and meetings, like stuff just goes on and you get to see more. And it's not just like, he's, he's not trying to like ham fist, like an idea into it. And there are like overarching, like, resonances between scenes but some of it is just like watching like human behavior like seeing people speak and the way that that people speak publicly like the um the veterans hall which is a great scene and and there's like a lot going on and and like interesting reveals and stuff but part of it is also watching these people who are like passionate about their their uh experiences speaking publicly and not being that good at it
1: yeah Mm-hmm. Internal. No, of- I mean the one guy who has the most harrowing story, he keeps walking in front of the podium. You know, and like the audio keeps like fading right. out because he's yeah. walking in front of the microphone. Yeah. But it's like his passion is overwhelming compared to the people in the city hall meetings.
6: And it's not rehearsed, which is the exact opposite of, of, of Marty Walsh, right? Oh of yeah. course,
1: yeah.
5: Well I think yeah, it's pretty hilarious in that scene where you know, I guess it's like a veterans recovery group or something like that and like he kind of uh, equates <laughs> his struggles as like a 20s um alcoholic to you know these the trauma people faced uh in war and like yeah that guy the the veteran kind of talking before you know very passionate very harrowing moving story you know and uh then marty walsh kind of has to pull something out of you know the nether region and yeah. kind of you no, know, I have trauma too. I have trauma. I was I had cancer when I was six, and uh, yeah, dude,
1: uh, he keeps changing story tra- trauma folder and just like uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, <laughs> Bal- Malcolm and I were like, dude, how many things did he go through when he was a kid? Like he keeps throwing all these different stories out at people. You know, when I was seven years old, I had cancer, like you. You know, uh, <laughs> that he's like, you know, when I was eight years old, we were very poor. We were very poor. You know, yeah. <laughs> like uh, he just has like
6: my I, ancestors were dogs. Yeah, yeah, dude. Uh, you know uh,
1: the Irish. We were the original slaves. Uh. Yeah. We're kind of we're kind of very Latinx in that sense. You ever heard of Doc Irish? Well, you yeah. know.
5: Well, yeah. I mean, like that scene where he's talking at the Latinx. Uh, I don't know. Just kind employees, of employees. Yeah. Employees. Yeah. Meet up and like, it's it's it really is like you know the rehearsal and kind of phoniness he gives off sometimes. I think people maybe read it as competency just because it's like, well, at least he's trying to make an effort to do these. He's not like drum. Yeah. Yeah. He's not doing, you know, he's, he's not stoking division. Um, But it it, is, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's all just to kind of keep him afloat and to keep him relevant and to, um, you know, have his perspective be at the forefront. It's like, I don't, like what what is really gained by being well, like also, you know when the irish came to this country you know they were treated like dogs you know uh, they called yeah. us monkeys yes yeah, it's, well, it's it's, it's the, unclear to see what that service besides himself
6: i mean i mean the conclu- the conclusion he comes to is that like um his ancestors came out of that slavery like conditions whatever and decided to like be entrepreneurs and like dug themselves out, which is like, is echo. It, it, it's echoing like a lot of this movie, stuff uh, in past Wiseman works, specifically some stuff in, in public housing and deaf, where you have like somebody who's like successful, at least uh, more successful than the people in front of them. And they're talking about like, what a great place we live, what a great country. And it's great because you can um, you can come out of your disadvantages by just starting a business.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and we believe that here at Extended Clip as well, and that's why we started LLC. Extended Clip. Yeah, exactly, LLC, you know. Now, JT, I just wanted to talk to you about this since it was your first one. What What's, like, your overall just, like, first takeaway from the experience of watching not just a Wiseman film but a late-period yeah. big-boy Wiseman? I mean, I, I think
4: it is that sort of, like – Uh, Like I knew obviously like he's a very intelligent man, especially like having the fixation of like public spaces and like bureaucracy. So I knew there was going to be like an overarching sort of point there or there would be like some perspective. Like you cannot make something without a perspective. But I was just like how do you balance that with sort of having like the naturalistic feel of like – covering the spaces and i don't know i was just really overwhelmed by the comparisons and rhythms that you can get uh through editing like i think you really get the rhythm of like the push and pull of bureaucracy here where it's like as sean was saying at the beginning where it's like wiseman is trying to like give people a fair shake like i think that's why some like I, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Why some like morons, I think, can come away with it being like, oh, well, Marty Walsh is a great guy. Like, <laughs> like watching this movie. And it's just like, yeah, like I think Wiseman shows that he is just like well intentioned. But like by watching the way bureaucracy works, you can see that being well intentioned doesn't do fucking dick. Like, yeah. you get like those like. I, I think it's before the Veterans Hall thing. You get that montage of, like, these elegant, like, sort of war paintings. Is that either at the end or the beginning of that? That is right, right after thing.
1: it. That's oh, okay. uh, that's that's oh. right after, like, the story of the rifle and Marty, Marty equates himself to, like, his AA struggles. Yeah. To that kind of thing. Yeah. And you get these,
4: like, beautiful, like, public spaces where like the these government events are going on like I think happens at the end like with Marty doing like a big speech or whatever Um, but that is sort of like I I just came back to thinking about that event like later when there's the uh, man in the house who has the rat infestation Mm
2: -hmm. and just
4: like his house is falling apart and he has a Vietnam War veteran hat on, mm-hmm. like, and the dude's like, I don't know if he explicitly confirms that or not. I mean, he talks about dealing with trauma and stuff like that, and is like a vet, and it's just like, you see the just like complete ineptitude and failure of the system, like, you yeah. see that, like, no matter how, like, legitimately, like, however much of like the public servants may think of themselves as, like, good people or be like, oh, well, we have this and this of the budget. Like, how how are we going to do the best that we can do? A lot of it is just sort of that, like, performative posturing. And mm-hmm. again, like, the way he covers, like, I, I think, Sean, in the, the long review uh, that you had did about this recently, you talk about that, like, performative element of it. And there's one moment where Wiseman catches, um, I don't know, like, the, like it's some sort of politicians at, like, the Goodwill, like, sort oh, of yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. banquet hall. And there's one shot that goes on for, like, a sizable amount of time where it's, like, he's filming some guy who's not Marty Walsh dancing with, like, a mm-hmm. man who I think has, like, Down syndrome. Yeah. And you're seeing that, like, being filmed and that's just like, yeah, obviously, like on a very surface level, I think that's like endearing and like they're doing like a good element of service. But you're seeing the fact that that's played for cameras and yeah. you see that that's a performance and it's just like very self-serving.
1: Well, there's a, like. I also so, just love the band at that Goodwill uh, oh, <laughs> <yeah>. function <laughs> that the dude playing the double neck. I mean, come on. That's just swag
6: performance is like everywhere in in this like when you talk about the um, well first let me let me bookmark that for a second just to to go back and say like with that vets Hall stuff, like think about if that scene played without Marty Walsh's segment, which he easily could have done. like think about the way we would think about that scene. And how mm-hmm. it's changed by including Marty Walsh there. Or like if Marty Walsh didn't go to that thing. Like it it seems like such a better place, right? Or I mean not yeah. a, such a better place, but it, you get a better feeling from it when it's just like this communal aspect. But then you have this representative. Anyway, um, but the the guy who's getting the house inspection with the rat, um, there's performance at the end of that scene. He's clearly like looking at the camera. Like it's
1: not every day oh, he has yeah. a camera. He's not talking to the inspector at all for the next Yeah. Like- he talks to the inspector for like two minutes and then he talks to the camera yeah. or any
4: kind of fruit or right
6: vegetable in a plastic yeah. container right. what i'll do is i'll try to talk to them right um find out what's going on right yeah um and where the disconnect happened so yep. hopefully we can come right. to some sort of resolution yeah where you're not living then you know yeah. with a
7: know. pest infestation
0: in the because they they they,
7: they 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 spread disease too right you know right. And, you know, I try to keep it clean as I can here, but I'm a bachelor right now and living here for 18 years since I got divorced. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and, gotcha. you know, I've made my mistakes, but, you know, I, I don't do drugs or anything. Right, right. You know, I'm clean. And nope, that's good. I, I have a glass of wine here and there, and even lately mm-hmm. I lost my, yeah, I'm just, my spirit's broken. Mm-hmm. No, no, you know, cause, I... You because they want to throw me to the street after right. All. You know. Right. right. You know. No, I can imagine. I know, so... Anyone's broken. So you know, be I've, broken I've been someone. going through mental health right. with the VA. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I got some uh, uh, anxiety pills and, yeah. you know, I'm on, you know, blood pressure pills and, mm-hmm. you know, baby aspirin because I get stents in my heart. Right, right. But uh, I, I'm still alive. Yeah. Uh, hopefully move on to something better soon. Yeah. You know? No, and, you know, yeah. we'll try to, I'm, I'm almost you know, 71. We'll try to help
6: you out as, yeah. as no, much I appreciate as possible. It. Yeah, I appreciate and it. And I'll talk to them to see what exactly is going on. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Sounds Man, good. I appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. And he's sad and he's like, here's an opportunity. Here's people listening. I will like pour out my heart about like this tangent about like how I'm alone and no one cares about me.
1: Yeah, it's it's horribly depressing. Yeah. Uh, like his family is trying to evict him from this house that oh, they live in God. together. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I, I love how he throws in, My brother's trying to evict me because he wants my apartment because it's better. But, yeah. uh, you know, he's <laughs> not going to get that. Like, <laughs> just, uh, just laying down the fucking lot on film or on digital video. Uh, my brother is not getting my apartment.
5: I think as this movie kind of goes on and you kind of get caught in the machinations of it, you know, going from meeting to meeting, uh, you know, external. Uh, shots uh, establishing shots that are quite beautiful and then you know i think towards like the last hour of this movie things kind of start to get a little more heated a little bit more Mm -hmm. real you know what i mean with the the you know rat infested apartment and then particularly the the weed shop segment where um you kind of you know with the absence of you know a marty walsh figure or or whatever you get um you know the communities kind of uh, clashing against each other in in, in a very real way that... Yeah, you have the guy
1: Instagram-living it saying, like, uh, to the Asian guy who's opening the store, like, your type of people don't hire my type of people when you come into Boston. Yeah. Like, you guys... And then, uh, like, there's all this stuff like that. There's... Well, first of all, my favorite line, and I'll put the clip, but the girl says...
2: So bringing in this flow where you guys are going to have somebody at the door... I didn't hear anybody directing traffic or telling people, you know, where to go and how to park. It sounds beautiful when you're saying we're going to tell people to move their cars, but that's not how it works <laughs> around yeah, here. Yeah. We are not in downtown. We are not in yeah. Back Bay. We are in Dorchester where people will say, I'll leave my car there. And what are you going to do about it? Uh, I, I mean, yeah.
5: It goes to like bigger problems, like, you know, ra- race relations. Yeah.
6: They're well-meaning. Like it's a microcosm, yes. right? Like, like yeah they you know they think they're gonna hire this guy to do this shit and they're like no that's not how it's gonna work yeah
1: Yeah. it's uh that that is a barn burner of a scene because it becomes a discourse about discourse it becomes about why aren't we even acknowledging the racial problems here and the safety problems here why are we just talking about how we're gonna get a building approved or whatever yeah and like
5: you have that guy talking about how like the Walgreens is like the epicenter of the community and and how, you know, do we necessarily want to put a smoke shop there? Is that like a positive thing, you know, for someone, you know, getting the diapers and whatnot. And it, I don't know. It's like these, this type of the freeness of this discourse and it going to places that, um, you know, a much well-controlled environment like the other ones we've seen before. It seems like, you know, whether or not you know progress resulted out of those meetings it seems more of like a step in the right direction than kind of like this very Tampered bureaucracy that like uh, has people dozing off while it's being said.
1: One of my favorite cuts is in this scene too, uh, because you don't see him in this meeting until this point, and then you get this lady saying like, uh, "You know, and who's going to take care of the problems? You know, that's not what the BPD is going to do—the Boston Police Department. Uh, They're not going to fucking deal with this." And then it just cuts to (laughs) one cop who's been in the room the whole time—just this like wiry redhead dude—and he's like, "Yeah, yeah,"
6: (laughs) Yeah, uh, and it. reminds me too of a scene that really stuck out to me this time of the 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 contractor like the the small bit or you know the business mm-hmm. guy who owns his own uh construction business and it comes after you know this scene talking about like jobs and, and and whatever and like entrepreneurship and and watching this guy speak very passionately um and in a second language i believe um about his struggle is like is is really just like good cinema but um you know him not understanding why they're doing a study uh he's like what what you doubt why would you do a study like you don't think it exists like i could tell you it exists um, and, but like yeah, and just he like- is
1: just the su- he is a victim of bureaucracy more than anyone else in this movie yeah. because he is literally getting sub subcontractor roles to fill minority quotas right and it, like so he's just getting these like hundred two hundred thousand dollars subcontractor uh, things and then because of that the government is like look we're subsidizing fucking. Uh, Immigrant businesses, we're doing it. And then he is just fucking stuck in his own little ghetto of 100 to 200K contracts while all the other white contractors in Boston or Irish contractors in Boston that's white i don't know why i fucking made that distinction well you know back in the day Uh, well back in the day they they were treated like fucking monkeys irish
5: (laughs) subsect of the other white races Uh,
1: but yeah so he's like ghettoized by this while others are getting three million dollar building contracts you know like you think about what a contractor actually clears from a hundred thousand dollar contract it's not that much
6: yeah um and like again you know the scene about the guy talking about like uh uh, entrepreneurship. He's talking about how they have a deal with Amazon and like, and uh, so much of this movie has to do with big development. And Marty Walsh might be like well intentioned, and he seems to try, uh, but like you, you have nothing against Amazon. Like Amazon can just crush you, and that is like you. We see this in like in Jackson Heights in twenty fifteen of just like the way that these rich uh, developers just like prey on these small small developers, uh, or these small business owners in these just like such. Evil like Craven ways, um, and also in like Monrovia, there's some stuff. But uh, but you, it, I, I don't see how you like watch this movie and don't see like how hard it is to live there and like achieve equality if you are of color. Um, and, like I, I just don't see how you go. Oh, Mario Walsh is doing great. Like uh, this is this is competency at its finest. He's trying. I mean, it. <laughs> it you know, on to the next movie. It's just like peak. It's peak liberal like brain bullshit where it where it really is just like, hey, that's good enough for me. You know,
1: Trump. Look at Trump. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Marty even alludes to that a couple of times. Like, look, what would they do in Washington? That's not what we do in here in Boston. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It kind of is. You guys are both like basically uh, both governments are basically center right, you know, capitalists like that's Right.
6: What, and he plans
1: for like you're fun. in the same range.
6: Right, Right. he plans for like climate resiliency and all that type of stuff. And I don't think I I, I think Wiseman like doesn't think of him like an evil guy. It's just like, that's the system.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I think Wiseman is kind of ambivalent about it because if anyone knows how bureaucracy works, it's Frederick Wiseman. He's just going to fucking present him as he is, and he's going to use editing to make sure that the viewer knows what Frederick Wiseman knows too. Like, he's going to make sure we know all of the contradictions therein, but he's also not going to fucking be able to invent a scene where Marty Walsh is like, oh, I can't believe I had to deal with those fucking poor people. (laughs) 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 yeah and that's the way human behavior works you just
6: get to see like when you spend enough time with somebody you get to see that stuff if you really try and like pay attention
1: yeah he doesn't say that but he says
9: for me veterans day is a day on the calendar just like memorial day is a day on the calendar but veterans day and memorial day is every day it should be every day in our country (laughs)
6: <laughs> mm-hmm. oh my god the N- A- NAACP scene is just like oh so that is cringe. the most
1: embarrassing thing ever yeah. like yeah he's like uh he's talking about how like civil rights people didn't do enough because like now we have hindsight and he's like uh you know we could we could have done it more back then you know but uh we didn't know yeah, back they missed then. the chance yeah, missed, the, missed chance. the chance yeah
6: and he tries to one up the guy the representative with like some fact about like black history and it's like what you doing
1: yeah just toneless just
6: yeah
5: he, he is like tone deaf. The, the way he's talking is like trying to be like oh we're in the same struggle like we both do the same exact thing you know look i don't I know
1: if you knew about this me you know i know that you're a black american and you're struggling but when i was seven years old i had cancer <laughs> yeah and
5: also back in the day you know irish people they were kind of considered uh, uh,
1: no. <laughs> and because of that irish heritage i was led to drinking a lot yeah yeah <laughs> Um,
6: yeah. And so like Wiseman, the uh, I, mean, I don't know if the listeners are aware or anybody, but um, the way that we see them are not chronologically like they didn't yeah. happen chronologically. So like he rearranges stuff. Um, so, I mean, like who knows when that last speech happened in real time in, in, in a post release, But like the fact that he saves that for the, the end, which is like a very Wiseman thing to, to end on this big ironic speech um, is just like I, I just don't. And I've seen people that I respect and some people that I don't, like, both come away with, with, like, similar readings. And I just don't understand, like, how you watch him talk like that after you've seen, like, there's a reason why the last third of this movie ramps up to what you guys are talking about, about, like, this struggle. Is that, like, then it all, like, clashes with this last speech about prosperity. And it's just like, like,
1: yeah, anyway. That last speech, also one of the great intros, the uh, the national anthem sung by the two cops, so funny. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. That Malcolm and I were dying. And, like, Malcolm was like, dude, that guy looks like he's going to join in. I'm like, just wait. Just wait.
5: I was like, these guys yeah, taking great. singing lessons? Like, where, where are they finding the free? <laughs> Shouldn't they be out patrolling the streets, keeping us safe? What are they? Yeah, there's all these forming a quartet?
1: <laughs> fucking violent deaths being reported in the police scenes of this. It is just like, uh, what are you, singing?
5: Yeah,
6: Exactly whistle while you work yeah. maybe you get a better
3: job
5: if you want to do yeah. that
6: <laughs> it kind of echoes the scene of marty Walsh with the NAACP of the the white guy being like yeah i got this like uh, yeah exactly just- <laughs> let me let me take over i got it from here yeah
1: um just speak before we get to final thoughts on this i just want to hit a couple of like funny things that happen or good things that happen. Just little things rapid fire almost. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a scene where one guy's giving a speech uh, or not a speech, but he's talking at a board meeting and the guy next to him is staring down a bowl of snacks the whole time and then he very quickly grabs a Ghirardelli square and pops it in his mouth (laughs) right at the cut and Wiseman was definitely paying attention to that. That is like beautiful right there. Uh, Just like almost off camera. Just like the guy speaking is in the center. This dude is just...
5: Killing. And the whole it time though. they're like talking about we need to get more resources to charter schools, right? Yeah, right. Like that. oh, that's like that's that. a great yeah. reveal.
6: I, I hadn't caught that actually the first two times I watched it, but like I don't think you know during that meeting that it's a charter school until the end. The it's end is yeah. like yeah. so
1: perfect. Yeah, yeah. Uh when they go to Fenway. Oh. Uh, By the time Wiseman edited this film, he was a dodger. He was a fraudger. Uh, so, like, you don't even <laughs> see Mookie. You just see all these Bostonians. It's like, fucking Mookie! <laughs> yeah! Uh, uh, That's a uh, fucking MVP! <laughs> Uh, and my boys fucking swapped him away from you. Um, and, like, uh, there's also just, like, these occasional still lifes in the, uh, in the interstitial exterior shots. Like, there's one at the greenhouse that he shows where it's just, like, this beautiful still life he composes of a work glove hanging on a pole, a boom box, and some greenery. And it's, like... This is a beautiful fucking shot. Uh, but most of the shots without people are, of course, larger exteriors. Um, the last few are the best in the movie uh, with that purple mm-hmm. sky and the ocean and just flexing completely. Just
5: three shots, simple. Yeah, so
1: simple. Um, I think also one of the most stunning things without dialogue, uh, and then dialogue comes and ruins it, of course, is the Holocaust Memorial, which is stunning. And I think it's like the way Wiseman shoots it is dramatic. It's like legit, Mm -hmm. like he dramatizes that shot uh, because of the importance, obviously. Uh, This is a very somber thing. This is, uh, and then, you know, once it's all revealed, you just see a lady in like a puffy walking jacket, you know, briskly walk, do her power walk through it. It's like, oh yeah, this Holocaust memorial is just going to be where people jog and get a mist. And And then Marty, of course, Uh, You know, when I was when I was growing up, uh, I was in the Holocaust, you know,
5: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to I was going to steal that if you didn't do
1: that. (laughs) Uh, Uh, But it's like it's like the one in Berlin, you know, it's like it's a beautiful thought. And uh, architecturally, it actually makes sense. Like the form fits the content. Um, But of course, it's a public work. Like people are going to be fucking jogging through it and stuff. And it's kind of
6: weird. He does that with the interstitial, uh, like lily pad shots with um, the building developments. Like he just like, you know, they're used as this place to like just like breathe in between scenes. But he's yeah. also here sp- specifically pointing out the way that big development is just taking over. And one of my, one of my favorite tidbits that I caught this time too is also that parking meter with the or not parking oh, meter but the, the the parking but like dispute when, thing yeah oh, which is just so great, great great
3: stuff
2: so what can you do to prove the ticket was given incorrectly
3: okay it's tough for me to prove the ticket was given incorrectly but i didn't when i parked the car there wasn't any sign for resident permit parking there it was just a meter i thought and then i mean i've lived as lived as lived in this town my whole life i didn't even know anybody lived down there okay. i haven't I been down there in a long time so it, it's you know, for me to park in that part of town and think, wait, wait a minute, this might be resident permit, like it was the hill, or like it was the back bay, or like it was the south end, you know, and I just didn't see a sign, and I figure nine o'clock, I'm fine, and I come out and get a ticket at 10, I mean, I, I just, I, I can't understand what happened. So. I don't, I just don't know.
1: Yeah, no, those scenes, like, the, the, the second guy who gets his parking ticket dismissed is one of the funniest characters in the movie, for sure. Yeah.
5: Eddie was telling me off off uh, off camera that he was he had a little crush on the the girl. I was like,
1: "Come on man. keep it professional, you know. You got to
6: <laughs> keep it on the uh, path,
5: straight and narrow path."
6: But but she says she says this this little thing because he's like, "I didn't even know people lived down here. I live here forever." And uh, and she's like, "Oh, maybe it was a new high-rise or one of them says that." And it, and it's just like again, like one of those details at the end of a scene that that you know could just be a throwaway line, but Yeah, absolutely. So so it, it
5: also like that scene and like various other scenes like makes me think of like Wiseman's technique. It's strange that like, you know, that this would happen. Like you you work some government, you know, bureaucrat job and all of a sudden like, oh yeah, some, you know, documentarian, you know, PBS guy is showing up. He's going to have a camera on you and like how that uh-huh. affects that and how for some people, I don't know, they're just completely natural with it and others like it made me you know it made me think of what's not seen right because like with the ticket scene right it's uh it's two tickets pardoned right two tickets pardoned and uh you know these people they don't have to pay their ticket and it's like well they're they're definitely handing out you know a lot of tickets that people do have to pay and it's like you know you you wonder how a scenario like that goes down if wiseman recorded one like that didn't include it you know it's it's just there's a lot of things thoughts that come from that
6: I, I think that what's significant about that here is, like, um, like he's sort of, like, famous for, like, showing uh, situations like that and not showing the outcome. Like, think about so many, like, meetings that we just see mm-hmm. all the, the, the arguing and, and talk and discussion, but we don't know what happens. And here we actually do see the outcome, and it's countered by being, like, the most, like, minor infraction possible that they can <laughs> readily solve.
5: True. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. They could they could write off all parking tickets if they wanted yeah. to. Yeah. It's um,
1: fucked
5: up. I can't even park outside my house. They'll give me a ticket. I know after dude. ten. Ma-
1: Malcolm's mm-hmm. house, they're strict, dude. They're like they'll drop a five hundred on you. <laughs> Jeez. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Nah,
5: nah, nah. Like ninety bucks.
1: Okay. Okay.
5: I live in such a rich neighborhood, that no.
1: No, honestly, Malcolm told me that the other night, and my brain translated 90 to 500, because who the fuck wants to pay 90 bucks for a parking ticket? (laughs) Um, So I'm going to give this one five bullets. I think this is, in my estimation, raised to become my favorite Frederick Wiseman movie that I've seen. I've only seen like eight or ten. But this like really, the second time around, improved for me... Um, Because I already knew what it was doing institutionally, so this time I was Mm -hmm. looking at it more of a character study, and this is just like, who is and who isn't ready for camera? Who is and who isn't ready to talk publicly? Who is and who isn't changing how they talk publicly for a camera? The the possibilities of analysis are endless and there's so many goofy fucking people. Uh, Boston is such a great city to do it because there's so many fucking accents that are funny and people who (laughs) like uh, all regional Bostonian accents are what I'm referring to here. And uh, also it is the city where people refuse to not support their sports team. (laughs) Every single scene in this movie has a piece of Boston sports memorabilia whether it is for the Patriots Red Sox Bruins uh, or Boston College you will not find a scene in this movie that has people in it that does not have some sort of trinket whether it's a pin a hat Marty Walsh's Dunkin Donuts Patriots Cup uh, always sports and that's saying look I love sports too. But it's saying something when that is like the cash cow of the city. Yeah. You have the most successful sports franchises going at the time, and you still have all of these fucking problems. Like, yeah. he's like, it's so good for the city when the sports teams are doing well. You know, and it's like, is it really? What does it really do? They're going to drink at bars watching games regardless.
5: It's the pacification of the people. And speaking uh, of sports, Marty
1: Walsh is a LeBron-level bullshitter, I think. Uh, Marty Walsh, go on the barbershop. They're just going to back and forth be like, oh, yeah, I read that book. Yeah, Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite (laughs) sayings.
5: I bet if they did a City Hall 2, now with the the Mac Jones era, I bet they're going to see a little less patriots gear a little less you know there's going to be a little less enthusiasm
1: mac jones is turning the tides of boston they're getting into white boy swag you know
5: true yeah
1: (laughs) but uh malcolm what do you think about this one
5: i mean yeah this is this was i've seen uh i saw titicut follies in high school before this Mm -hmm. so obviously very kind of different movies much shorter movies by wiseman this is my first long wiseman and uh it's i you know it's i've with a, a documentary like this I've never really kind of uh sat through something like that before. So it you know, it's 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 even hard for me to think of it as a term as, you know, I would with other movies, which, you know, makes it very unique. You know, Wiseman has his own thing, own grammar that he's working with here. And uh I was very impressed, you know, it's it's a lot to take in, but at the same time it's you know, it's very simple. You know, it is Wiseman does present things how it is it's like you know I think Marty Walsh said he liked this movie or people um, you know who work within the city hall like this movie because it is what they're doing you know at, at the very end of the day and if they unless they have complete doubt in their you know, every move in life it's like yeah that's what happened I went there and I gave a speech that day um, you know so I, I don't know if they're thinking about the editing as much as we are but uh, yeah and I, I'm going to give it four and a half bullets I don't know if I said that already but uh also it's like i'm with a lot of these double features i feel like this uh matches you know kind of well with w- within our gates right because it's almost like almost like the opposite in a way where mm-hmm. like within our gates is like a condensed short um movie that kind of tackles the issues very directly at the time through like you know using uh melodrama to kind of uh punctuate it right where Wiseman's kind of taking the opposite approach, maybe, where it's like, I've got, you know, we've got 4K cameras that can run for 20 hours at a time, you know, if if we let them, right? You know, depending on how long these meetings go. So Wiseman can kind of give you long, uninterrupted chunks of, you know, of a meeting of some sort of discussion or discourse of some sort and kind of uh, give you many scenes like that and kind of stitch them together you know use editing as his punctuation and kind of uh you know you could kind of take what you want from that you know it's not as didactic I guess but it, in, in a way um you know it's it, it's very it's you, you could you could take the you could take a lot of different messages from it and uh you know I think that's obviously what Wiseman likes you know about his technique so yeah uh, I'm I'm definitely I'm I'm willing to watch more. I want to watch more. I want to watch a bunch of uh, four hours of meetings in Indiana about them talking about corn cob pipes or whatever they do over there. <laughs> so, uh, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's uh, bite sized compared to this one. Yeah, Sean, thank you for uh, you know spreading the Wiseman gospel.
1: You know, mm-hmm. you finally got me. Uh, JT, what about you?
4: Um, I'm gonna go four and a half bullets, <laughs> verging on. I don't know. Probably the next time. I get a hankering to spend uh, four and a half hours in Boston without really taking the drive up there. I uh, It'll probably come around to five. Uh, but yeah, this is a great Wiseman intro for me because I'm super excited to check out the other ones. There's just so much there with his inclusions and like the decision-making where you can extrapolate like so much and like, it's so dense to interpret for that reason. Like the, uh, um, the the parking dispute scene with Eddie's crush that we had talked about uh, okay. earlier. Eddie's GF. The <laughs> first
5: to her as. He wants to have a meat cute. with
4: Like that scene in particular. It's like, uh, like obviously Wiseman to some extent is exploring like how public spaces are evaporating. Kind of. And like that. I mean, it, it's no surprise that like the sports uh, events are like some of the largest like public get togethers and where like that actually happens. And that is like totally enmeshed with commerce. But he's like, I don't know, so obsessed with bureaucracies and like the places where people congregate. So it's just like you do get a little victory in that moment of like, oh, we'll 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 chuck the chuck the parking ticket but the victories that exist like that in this film like even the lesbian marriage at the beginning are so like minor in the sea of larger problems and though even the like small victories of civil service there are just like mediated with, like, larger bullshit. Like, you see, like, the divide generationally because, like, that girl that, like, helps that man, she's just, like, I don't know. It's kind of funny how, like, I feel like it's, like, what a Fox News person would think of is like, a blue-haired, like, type of feminist girl. Like, she has a little streak. Oh, she got she, the
1: pronouns.
4: Yeah, she, or, or yeah, or, well, they have the, like, like, some buttons on, like, they, the they have some buttons on their jacket as well, and it's just, like, talking to, like, this big, fat, like, old Boston bozo who's like, oh, well, back <laughs> in my day, there wasn't any apartments there. Uh, and, like, you see history like that in just such a bite-sized moment and then also, like, just by, like, little repetitions that happen in terms of, like, public, like, civil servant behavior, you get to, I-, I don't know, I feel like some of the mask, like, falls off in some extent. Like, especially when they're talking about the socks parade at the beginning, they're, like, the phrases like, we're going to keep this calm. And there's going to be no violence. You can't bring like a gun here is like how little they respect. I mean, obviously the, these Bostonian slobs would get drunk and <laughs> rowdy, of course. And I think that you're situa- saying this from
1: Philly where you guys threw fucking batteries at Mike Schmidt. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I, and I mean like the situation, like, I, I don't know. It merits a little bit of going hog wild, but like the <laughs> civil servants also just like are like, like, I don't know. I think that, shows the contempt in like a very subtle way. They're like, all right, you fucking pigs. Like, we know you want to go ape, but like, just settle down. Like, like, (laughs) do like temper that as much as you can.
5: When, uh, he goes to that, the senior center or whatever, the senior meetup. And it is like, the you know I mean they're old people so you got to speak you know you talk talking a little tone to them of course right but like him t- explaining like the phone call scams you know I get that's information that they need to know for sure but it is like it's it's maybe even contempt isn't the direct word because a little condescending con- condescending yeah yeah it is just like you know
6: what a donut hole is yeah <laughs> uh, 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 uh. oh i bet
5: you do look at my man over there he knows he knows he knows about the donut hole um but sitting on the hemorrhoid donut right now he's sitting on the donut hole right now god damn with walsh popping up in different places like it's it's fun to see like what coat is he wearing today what kind of how is, is he gonna condescend talk down is he gonna be like you know i'm with you man like you know we're we're the same person you know it's and uh you know, it's less. It says it doesn't even really say that much about him, but just the role of a public figure in a system mm. like that, like this, and like what they have to do or to you know maintain a a sense of keeping things together.
1: Sean, our guest, uh, do you have any closing thoughts and a bullet rating for this one?
6: Yeah. Uh, well, besides the fact that uh, I, I feel like in the next like six months you're just gonna go visit Boston and just like spend the weekend getting parking tickets. <laughs> uh, well i am going
1: to boston in like three weeks oh so. yeah <laughs> he was doing some OPSEC some yeah research. this is research
0: for me yeah this
6: was uh this is great uh because i this is a five bullet for me this time around um because i loved it when it first came out but having like gone through so much for the for the podcast like and coming back to it it really is like we've we've talked about this with one of his other films but um on the show but uh what's the sun it's always sunny like meme on the the board with all the connecting dots yeah um like even just within city hall like there, like even during our discussion like you could just bring up one one uh bit of it and you can just like connect so much through it It, it's just like such a, a rich text and it's also fun and funny and we didn't even talk about the trash stuff like there's just so much uh going on and it never feels labored but um yeah
1: the trash and is also, sick dude i the trash oh compactor God. like i had just done a gig where i had to like destroy a bunch of furniture and we were using like a forklift and stuff and so <laughs> just seeing those like mattresses go into that compactor it was it It makes me feel good it's yeah. sad. Yeah. um i think it's oh, I oddly should... satisfying also but, you <laughs> yeah. know this
5: i don't even know if this is you could connect this to anything any deeper meaning but like the stuff that was getting crushed man i was like that mattress you could sleep on that mattress that's a good yeah, mattress right that there. barbecue that barbecue that grill i don't know just to random. Well, I, people
6: i like, i read it i i read it as like yeah. just like this is this is uh the way that things happen you know as yeah, like yeah. A, a broader metaphor like it it's not the best solution but they're they're trying and it sucks well, but uh, it was
1: also ironic because it was like uh they were just talking about housing and homelessness and we're throwing away beds like oh yeah you know yeah, sure. people with houses got more beds to spare yeah uh but, but yeah that, yeah
6: I, I i was gonna say uh, something from what jt was saying about like seeing history between people and something I, I read from uh somebody like i like um a Wiseman scholar was talking about in this film like when you watch like the veterans hall and, like, Wiseman has made movies throughout, like, wars just, like, during his thing. And you get to see people who are joining them or are participating or whatever. Mm. And, and like, getting to see actual history, like, through his filmography and seeing, like, people come out on the other side of stuff that, that, like, you know, could easily be, like, placed in one of his earlier films is, like, really special. And, like, you don't really get that from another filmmaker.
1: That's going to do it on City Hall. Don't we love 100 Years of Cinema? Going from within our gates to City Hall. Next week, we are going forward and backward. In Timeline A, we are going forward to Dr. Mabusa, the gambler. We've already talked about the testament of Dr. Mabusa. We've uh, already talked about the 1,000 eyes of Dr. Mabusa. But now it's time to take it back to the old start. And I think... I have a feeling... There's gonna be a pretty heavy money Malcolm segment on next week's alongside The Gambler. Did you uh, did you guys as,
6: also did you guys also do Dr. Mabusa and the Women? Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
5: Dr.
1: Mabusa hates women. He truly <laughs> hates <Yeah>. them.
5: <laughs> wow.
1: Uh so yeah, we're doing that. And then for moving backward in time in timeline B, we are going with another crime film. S. Craig Zahler's dragged across concrete now is this th- this is a good point to bring up right now is this like the most canonical film of 2017 to 2019 no we could talk about the irishman because talked yeah. about it once upon a time in hollywood We're, we've talked about our mission for this season but look they're not all going to be masterpieces this is just extended clip 100 years of cinema and I think Dragged Across Concrete is one of the most noteworthy and conversation worthy films of the last decade, if not ever. So that's why it's in the books. This uh, this podcast season is a book, by the way. Wow.
5: Yeah. I thought it was a movie. See, why the old podcast
1: that? was a movie, but now <laughs> it's a novel. Damn.
5: Well, I hope I hope you got an ebook
1: ready. Speaking of e, email. Yeah. Extendedclip podcast at gmail.com. I didn't call for emails, but a couple people sent them. Really? Uh, yeah, since I announced the return, one did. Uh, um, well, a couple did.
5: So but, are we, we going to hear from the fans right now? Yeah, we are going to hear from <laughs> a oh <my> fan. God. <laughs> uh,
1: no, uh, this comes from Bam Marinara, uh, whose avi looks like it's David Cross and Bob Odenkirk. Two cool guys? No, it's Barack Obama, and I can't tell who...
5: <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I think Eddie needs to get his eyes checked.
1: <laughs> look, I don't see color. Oh,
5: that's good. That's good. Then.
1: His question is: greatest pervert of all time? Love you, Bam Marinara. Me. Yeah, it's JT.
5: <laughs> JT. Um, look up most sex crime. Next, sex crimes committed by one person. Was it a? Uh, yeah, that guy.
1: Yeah, that's a fill in the blank one. Our other one. Okay, no, this... Uh, fuck, I shouldn't have starred this one, and I already said... Uh, it comes from uh, no reply at campaign.eventbride.com, and it says, Today, uh, access granted, private event with 100 black men of America and premium cigar association.
5: Does it really say that?
1: Yeah, it was August 22nd. I guess we missed it.
5: Hundreds with 100 black... Wow, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'm really sorry to eventbrite.com. Uh, that you wanted us to present at the private event with 100 Black Men of America and Premium Cigar Association, or if you were just asking us to come as guests either way, I regretfully... They're
5: doing their 100 thing. We got a 100 years of cinema thing going on, so I I get the... I get
1: that's (laughs) why they wanted us The need to reach out. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Bye. See you next week.
9: And how do we take the past and celebrate it? But also understand where the problems happen. And I think that, you know, when people talk about, you know, racist Boston, 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 racist Boston.
7: Hey, have you ever ridden in a time machine before? You know, this could take anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. Back! Get it? Could be a minute, could be a half hour, or an hour. Back. Get it? Hour back? Call you back in an hour. Back getting? You ever ridden in a time machine before? Well sure you have, what do you think this is? A car. You're looking at this thing bass-ackwards. It's a 20th-century time machine. I'm the captain, and you're the navigator. Out there? that's the future back there well that's the past if life's moving too slow you want to project yourself into the future just step on the gas right here <laughs> and if you want to slow it down well hell you just step on the brake here slow down.
2: God is bigger than your statistics
3: uh, why did you how did you come to acting how did this come into your life acting acting well I did a one-act play in junior high school as an assignment <laughs> uh, and, uh, the, the, the teacher she was an English teacher and she and so we but she was in charge of this play and the kid was the, the, the lead in the play was uh, a kid, a young boy, who was a re- a retarded. A med- I mean, not really retarded, but just dumb. Yeah. You've just, and, and she thought I was perfect casting. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I did the play, I, and it was so bad, the other two people who were in the play, we all decided we were gonna cut school that day and not have to do it. <laughs> Without, we were petrified about getting up in front of the whole senior class and, uh, and, and making fools out of ourselves. And finally, at the end, we all kind of gutted it out, got on the stage, and it, it was kind of a hit in a way, because it was so bad that it was funny.
2: My God is bigger than your statistics.
0: My God is bigger than your statistics. My God is bigger than
2: Robert doesn't exaggerate anything in his comics. The women are exactly the way he wants them, and he really accurately portrays himself as the skinny, bad posture, myopic man he is. Some people wonder if he doesn't exaggerate the size of his penis, which always appears awfully big in the comics. Robert does not exaggerate anything. He is endowed with one of the biggest penises in the world. One of the biggest penises in the world. Don't
1: vote. Just don't do it. The amount of time it takes for you to vote, you can play three games
0: of pool. What are you giving me that for? In the best position to do it. You fuck him, and then right when he's going to come, you blow his brains out. Oh shit. Man, then.
9: I grew up in an Irish home and then, you know, you don't talk about your things. And I'm not a veteran, uh, but I know the, the importance of telling, um, telling what's on your heart sometimes. Um, I'm in recovery. So my connection to, to getting help is in recovery. Um, I grew up in Dorchester and I uh, went to work construction and you didn't tell your feelings back then when, when you're drinking and things like that. And My drinking got out of control so much that I ended up in detox. It was the last place that I wanted to be. But when I was in there, I realized I I didn't go there to stop drinking. I went there to get the heat off me. Uh, But while I was in this, the first night a meeting came in and somebody spoke, you know, the AA meeting came in and they talked and whatever it was, I was interested. It kind of perked my interest. And the rest of that week, I I listened to um, talk of addiction and I learned about what alcoholism was.
2: You know, this could
7: take anywhere from 15 minutes.
9: For me, Veterans Day is a day. On the calendar, just like Memorial Day is a day on the calendar. But Veterans yeah. Day, but Veterans Day, but Veterans Day, every day it should Veterans day, day, in Veterans Day, Veterans Veterans
2: of the biggest penises in the world. So bringing in this flow where you guys are gonna have somebody at the door, I didn't hear anybody directing traffic or telling people, you know, where to go and how to park. It sounds beautiful when you're saying, we're gonna tell people to move their cars, but that's not how it works around here. We are not in downtown, we are not in Back Bay, we are in Dorchester where people will say, I'll leave my car there, what you gonna do about
9: it? Don't give any information out over the phone. Yeah. If somebody says it's your doctor, send me a letter. If somebody says you're gonna shut your cable off tomorrow, send me a letter. Don't give them your email, tell them to send you a letter, serve it, if they say we well, you, you owe money, send a constable. <laughs> send somebody down and send it, give me. Okay. Petition me. Don't even bother. You're gonna get letters in your house if you own your home. My mother gets them because I get her. I go to the house and do her bills and, and I get the <laughs> mail. There's always. Oh, I could I can. You can earn a lot of money on your home. Oh, or we can give you a mortgage that can low interest mortgage. Just don't believe any of the stuff.
4: It feels. It makes me the most nostalgic for Boston, I think of all the movies, because it does the best job of just being like, oh
2: yeah, Boston.